Look at them, madame. Have you ever in your entire life seen anything so beautiful? I'm sorry, I don't know anything about stamps. I went to a silent auction and I got a dog whistle and two mimes. Live from Stamp Show here today, Infotainment Complex, this is the award-winning Stamp Show here today. If you can dream it, we can collect it. This is episode number 402, which, by the way, I sent a press release to Linz. Have we seen that uh, they printed uh, our 400th episode celebration? Have you seen the Linz lately? I have not. Uh... Did they really? Yeah. Well, I don't know if they printed it. I sent it. And I sent it to the editor, and generally speaking, they print it. Brought to you by the Southern Nevada Philatelic Research Center, a nonprofit 501c3 corporation for the advancement of philately. You can support this witless Tosh by joining the Stamp Show Here Today community. The cost is only $10 for a lifetime membership. We are an APS-affiliated club. Listen to the end credits for information on joining. This is Lord Cash. This is Fide Defensor Mark. Sean. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> the Duchess. <laughs> so we got a uh, letter from uh, Paul M. from Peachland Philatelics. And he says, please finally close my check for the amount of $10 for a lifetime membership in your prestigious organization. I have thoroughly enjoyed the podcast and lively debate on the subject of philatelic issues, inventors of tube socks, and pesky Canadian counterfeiters. Oh, he's one of us. He is. As is customary with new members, I prefer to be known hereafter by either my official title, Sir General Ulysses Wynne, or you can shorten it to Sir Genuine. I like it. Ah, <laughs> uh, so I had an interesting thing cross my desk, and uh, I'm holding it up to the microphone. What I collect a uh, U.S. number ten, eleven, twenty-five, twenty-six, and this is a number twenty-six on cover. It says do three. It was marked as old stamp not recognized, which after the start of the Civil War, they couldn't go into the South and get all the postage stamps back. So they said, you can't use those stamps anymore. We're not, we can't guarantee that they are not going to come up North, be sold to people. You know, picture the Canadian counterfeiters, you know, they're taking the money and then throwing stamps into the U.S. postage stream. Well, they wanted to prevent this. So they demonetized all the U.S. number 26s that were around the three-cent Washingtons, and they issued a different three-cent Washington stamp. So this one here says, do three, and then as was customary, they put a contemporary stamp on top of the old stamp to pay the three cents postage due. And I had this in my collection for quite a while, never really looked at it. It said $50. I don't think I paid $50 for it. Um, but, uh, Mark, can you see anything wrong with that cover? Hmm. So the cover looks good, right? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
It looks good to me. Yeah. Problem is, it, it, the cancel is dated, and it looks like a 186 smudge. Right. So, you know, it was 1862 would be the proper usage, stuff like that. But you turn it over, and it's docked 1860, which is a year before it was demonetized. So the number 65, either there was a time traveler or somebody put it on the envelope. They did a great job because they picked an envelope that had everything on it that should be a stamp not recognized, except for the docking on the back, which shows that it's an 1860 usage and not an 1861 usage. And uh, that makes it fake. Huh. So a very interesting cover there. Uh, again, there are people out there who put stamps on covers to increase their value. And this is one. And the stamp, in this case, you could see why it was fake, is the date on the back, hidden, written in handwriting, you know, from the person who said, yeah, I received this letter this day and responded on this day. That's what makes it fake. So, Sean, what do you have that crossed your desk? So, I have a, st a set of uh, stamps from Portugal, and they have a guy on it named Antonio Salazar, who was the dictator of Portugal after the First Republic from 26 to 68. So I thought uh, Salazar's a very recognizable name, so I remember it from somewhere, and I was, how did he get to power? So it's a very interesting story. There was this guy named Alves Reis, Reis R-E-I-S, how do you say that? But Alves was a smart person who went to Oxford. He didn't actually get Oxford, but he, he had like a fake document that said he went to Oxford for uh, mechanical engineering. And he went sort of over. like us with the uh, stamp show here today. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what he do you mean fake. <laughs> you, he could call himself an Oxford graduate, and we can call ourselves lords and ladies. That's right. He's an Oxford man. Uh -huh. <laughs> His pink suit. And hey, that's something. If you join stamp show here today, you can call yourself a lord or a lady or an Oxford graduate or or ordained minister. <laughs> call yourself whatever you want. So he was so during World War I, Portugal wanted to make railroads in Angola to help with the war effort against Germany. And so they assigned a whole bunch of people down to Angola. And one of these people was Alves, and he was very good at building railroads, very good at it. And so he got paid a lot of money. He, he only got paid $450,000 in today's money. And so he wasn't a millionaire, so he was, oh, man, I'm not a millionaire. So he wanted to make more money. And, I mean, this guy was really bad. He would buy – he would go over to a railroad company, say, I'll buy your railroad company for a blank amount of money. You know, write a check, send it over to New York because that's where his account is. He would then buy, buy the company so he'd have his name on it. He'd telephone New York, say, can you transfer the company funds of the company into my bank account so I can buy – the railroad company with the own railroad company's funds, which quadrupled as well. But I mean, really, really shady. 
Yeah. Right? Well, the shadiest thing he ever did, though, was uh, Portugal had a lot of debt after World War One for building all these railroads, and the railroads didn't make any money. So what Portugal did was they assigned a new currency to Angola, just specifically to Angola, but all of the money, basically all of the debt, because there was no money, went over to the Angolan currency and, and crashed the currency. I mean, it made it worthless. I mean, you're basing a currency off of debt, right? So he was really pissed off at the Portuguese government. So what he did was he went over to a printing company, because back then the printing companies didn't always print their money inside the country. They would go to other countries for them to print. And specifically, this one was in London. So he went over to London, said, hey, can we do a... We don't... I got... I got permission from the Portuguese government to print this money, which he didn't. But he said... I mean, this guy's just a liar. He lied. He lied. I know. Liars. Lying liars who lie. So he goes over to the printing company and says, uh, I got a permission from the Portuguese government to print this money, but we got it. We can't, we can't talk about it to anybody because we're bailing out Angola and that, that'd be really, that'd piss off the Portuguese public. So we can't talk about this with anybody, right? So it's like, okay, I'll print the money because Portuguese government told me to. And so he printed money to make back his money. That he was stolen during the uh, stolen quotation mark. I mean, like, he also stole Portuguese money during the transfer of currency to Angola. The big thing that happened, though, was he was printing, like, 200 million escudos, or, or millions of dollars today. And the Portuguese government caught on. And so he was like, oh, I'm in big trouble. So the way he tried to get himself out was he, the, back then, the... Bank of Portugal was a private company. So he was trying to buy the Bank of Portugal. Then when he would get majority sharehold, he would then legitimize all the notes that he printed. So he didn't do anything wrong, right? <laughs> well, eventually the Portuguese government caught on. And this, I mean, this was not until he owned 20% of the bank. And he, his printing money alone accounted for 2% of the Portuguese GDP. So it was massive amounts of money. And this was terrible for the press. And it basically, it destroyed the republic, the first republic. So a guy, Salazar, Antonio Salazar, who's on the stamp. What stamp is it? Give the number. Uh, 1103 to 1105 for Portugal. And he, t- he took over the country. And it was so, this was such a bad scandal. And it made the people hate the government so much was when the b- military marched over to Lisbon, there wasn't a single person who rose up against the army because they were just like, we're sick of this government. We hate this. <laughs> so they, they went into a military dictatorship because of this one guy. So interesting story. Interesting. Yeah. One person can make a difference. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you got, Mark? Uh, I recently had a uh, uh, Shanghai China overprint, a Scott K1, which is the low value of the, of the Shanghai series. And um, the the Shanghai overprints are distinctive because they are a really dark jet black color, um, typically uh, a very shiny black color, and the um, and and the edges are, are very you know very sharp you know it's a it's a very sharp looking overprint, um, but the stamp that in question uh, it was weird because the um, the the bottom of the words China instead of being sharp and crisp were kind of fuzzy. And um, that's not something you usually see. 
Um, but it's not a disqualifying uh, thing because there are instances I've seen plate blocks and so forth where, you know, a portion will be a little bit fuzzy. There's, there's instances where a, a letter will be, uh, will be cut off. So it, it's not unusual to, to, well, it is unusual, but it's not unheard of to find these kinds of anomalies. But, uh, but a closer look, um, I started to, to, uh, to detect things that, that made this overprint look kind of funny. First of all, the, the numeral two was canted a little bit to the right, and uh, and that's not right. I mean, the, the you know this stuff was was laid out pretty well, and then uh, so I started to make uh, uh, measurements and and look at the stuff pretty clearly, and uh, it turns out that the distance between the the line two cent and the line that says China was about a millimeter off from uh, you know from all the examples that I have. So it turned out it was a complete fabrication. Um, though the ink looked right, um, and the um, and it and it and the the, the fuzziness, um, you know, contributed, but wasn't a, wasn't the uh, wasn't the main factor of this thing. But uh, but you know, you don't usually see Shanghai overprints. No, they're very scarce. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, it's not like the Kansas and Nebraskas where they you know pump these suckers out a lot. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They anything from typewriters to. You know all kinds of other stuff and, and rubber stamps, but uh, but yeah, this was a uh, this was a very convincing uh, overprint, and it's um, and it it could be profitable too because you know instead of uh, instead of um, you know trying to um, copy the the more expensive stamps, they went with the sort of the low value, the K one, you know, which is the uh, which is the overprint on on Scott number four ninety eight, but it still turns a big profit because. Uh, Scott number four ninety eight never hinged condition catalogs a dollar, whereas the uh, K one never hinged uh, catalogs something like sixty seven fifty. Yeah. So um, it, it it's sort of the case that uh, you know that like in currency, if you were to um, if you were to to um, make uh, a fake currency in five dollar bill increments, it's a lot less suspicious than if you were to make uh, fakes of the hundred dollar bills. So, you know, I think uh, maybe this guy got away with it for a little while. Yeah. Well, somebody had the stamp because was it submitted to PSE? Yeah, it was submitted stamp, Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, okay. So somebody got stung. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. Very interesting. How about you, Don? What do you have? Okay, so I had something similar to what Mark had. um, I was expertizing some uh, Kansas-Nebraska overprints. And uh, one really caught my eye. It was a Nebraska overprint, and uh, the overprint was really shiny. Obviously a fake. Why are shiny overprints a fake? Isn't that done by, um, like, a, um, a printer? Generally speaking, yeah, like a uh, laser jet, not, mm-hmm. not necessarily an ink jet, although both of them can make fakes. Uh, laser jets were around before ink jets. So the laser jet toner, when it dries, makes a very sharp, very shiny uh, overprint. Yeah. And we actually see quite a few of these on some of the overprinted issues, especially ones from come up, that come from overseas. The ink jet overprints are harder to detect but they're still not impossible 
but the laser jet ones, the ink just looks so very, very different than what it should look like. Mm-hmm. Well, anybody else got anything? We got our postcards for the Las Vegas stamp show, which is in December. We're advertising it now, but you'll you'll see that in the um, publications that it's uh, going to be, I believe, the uh, 17th, the 14th through the 17th in Las Vegas. So if you're planning a vacation the week before Christmas. We're actually advertising it as the uh, winter stamp show vacation. We have the word vacation on all the advertising, so uh, that'll be interesting. Anybody else have anything to plug? You know, we need to get a corporate sponsor. Like Del Taco or something like that. Ronsonol. Ronsonol, yeah. Oh, it yeah. should be Ronsonol, exactly. Yeah, Ronsonol. They should be kissing our feet. Yeah. <laughs> well, happy collecting. We need your help. Nothing on the internet is free, including our phone and internet connections. So you can support the podcast by joining the Stamp Show Here Today Club. The cost is $10 for a lifetime membership. Please include your APS member number as we are an APS-affiliated club. Your support is greatly appreciated. Our brand new spanking address is 5965 Harrison Drive, Suite 6 in Las Vegas, Nevada, 89120. You left out the word glorious. Fabulous. <laughs> because you don't put that on the letter. Oh. Well, you could. You could, yeah. You could, yeah. Well, kids, that's all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank Sideshow Mel, Corporal Punishment, Tina Ballerina, oh, and from Not Landing, Miss Donna Mills. Oh, she was a sport. We've had lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of fun, but now the time has come to go. If this silkcom was found dead in his bed tomorrow, I'd be in heaven still doing this show. See you some other time! <laughs> Stamp collecting happens when we dream together.